1: the Pro America report on the answer San
0: Diego welcome 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 Ed Martin here on the Pro America report hey i've got uh, this uh, pre-recorded one of my interviews so i've got to get to that and i've got a little less time so we'll uh, in a few moments we'll have a lengthy interview with ryan gurdusky about his performance uh in the um uh, his pack 1776 pack which competed in a lot of school board races and a lot more we'll talk with him he's grumpy he's grumpy at trump he's not happy with trump but let me let me just tell you what you need to know today it is absurd and there's a nice uh written analysis of this uh it is absurd to blame donald trump uh for tuesday's elections there's a lot of blame to go around, but he wasn't on the ballot. And the idea that somehow he's to blame, it's just silly. And as the powers that be try to do that, it actually, I think, makes him look stronger and look more like the guy who wants to drain the swamp. Um, it's just plain silly. It's a crazy thing to do. Um, look, uh, could could he have campaigned differently for some candidates? I suppose. Uh, but I don't think he even intruded on candidates that didn't ask for help. So uh, it's really a mistake. There's a lot of blame game going on in the House and Senate. You're seeing uh, real questions about the leadership of their parties, um, that the Senate, uh, uh, the head of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, uh, Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, spent his money in the wrong places, that the uh, congressman in charge of the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee, Tom Emmert, that he spent his money in the wrong places. Those guys raised hundreds of millions of dollars. They just didn't do a good job of winning. Now, that's the front line of who's to blame any race and winning any race is there. The second thing I'll just tell you is I think the country's just divided. And in most places, you're going to be divided. So uh, I wouldn't let the blame game go uh, to Trump. So anyway, we've got to run. We'll come back. Ryan Gerdusky coming back after the break. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report it's time to check in with my old friend and uh we won't say where we've spent the most time together ryan gurdusky at ryan gurdusky on twitter so first of all ryan before we get to anything you changed your twitter photo to this picture of elon musk and the first days of tesla right is that your is that your uh uh your um tribute to elon musk it is a funny
1: picture it's just of him with a bunch of Mexicans with sombreros, <laughs> and I thought it was a funny picture. I have no idea where it's from, but it made me laugh. So no, whatever. I think
0: I think it's I think it actually is reputed to be the first day of te- uh, of Tesla or SpaceX or one of them. It's that's, that's the first batch he hired a mariachi band. There's like eight other uh, engine nerds around him, but anyway, all right. Oh, that's uh, fun. <laughs> Ryan Gurdusky. Now, look, your book came out in uh, June of 2020. So you right. write a, it. takes you like a year to write a book and publish Took it. Or me four- 14 weeks to write that book
1: yeah 14 oh, weeks oh my gosh
0: okay so so you were in the middle of, well you were locked down in the pandemic writing it is that right
1: no i wrote it in 2019 so there was no pandemic i was Whoa. i was locked down and then in the <laughs> end i locked down myself again
0: okay so but but you were ahead of the curve on this the how the elites created the national populist revolution i mean we're now in the middle of it i w- i did an interview early on uh, wednesday morning and someone said what do you what do you think we're in i said we're in a we're in a a, a real um mass movement is the phrase i used uh but we're in this national populist revolution you still you're doing a uh, over at substack natpop.substack.com is your national populist newsletter um what what is it meaning i mean jd vance wins others are winning what what does it mean though where are what are we where are we in this revolution
1: well i mean it's hard to i mean it, it's it's fluctuating it's certainly moving and i don't you know history is never it doesn't have one correlation into moving it just consistently into one progression i think what we're seeing right now on a real global scale because that's what the book talks about is the global scale of national populism i think we're definitely seeing the um the destruction of the center in our national in our 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 national politics around the world you're seeing in in france uh while macron won re-election the center-right party got like five percent of the vote and the center-left party got like two percent of the vote Uh, if you look at um uh, Germany, the the center, centrist parties are falling apart. Same thing in Spain, same thing in Italy. Um, it is the nationalist right and the socialist populist left that is really kind of increasing their majority throughout Western Europe and Eastern Europe. Um, and it's really just the Anglo countries left that the center is kind of holding in some form or another. Um, aside from that, though, but in the, in in Europe, um, outside of outside of the Anglo sphere of, of uh, the UK, Australia, Canada, and uh, and the United States, you're seeing absolutely a rise of, of national populism in a real way. And I think within the Republican Party, I think the United States is definitely leading, um, as opposed to England, which while they had Brexit, Bojo is a liberal through and through, right. uh, Boris Johnson. Um, and in Canada, obviously, they're having uh, nothing besides uh, you know uh, you know the, the Order as, as currently isn't, and the centre right party in, in Australia, but to get the teeth kicked in in their next election. So in the United States, though, you're seeing. Um a definite rise of national populist figures within the Republican Party. You know, I often compare it to Reaganism. When Reagan became president, the first person to run as a Reagan Republican wasn't in 1982 or 1984. It was really 1994 um, when that term kind of kind of gained momentum uh, half a decade after Reagan had left the White House. So these ideas that Trump campaigned on in 2016, I think it would take until 2021, 2022 to really catch on within the GOP. And you're seeing not only JD Vance just win the primary, and I hopefully, likely won win the general. Um, you're seeing Anthony Sabatini and Joe Kent and uh, Blake Masters, um, and candidates springing up across the entire country who are really kind of um, asking very, very important questions against Republican traditional Republican author, orthodoxy. Carol- Carolina Sorero and Serrano in, in Nevada is another one, um, and I think that's very, very important. And I think that it's the slow evolution. I mean. Uh, that's definitely it's it, it's it's a long time coming, but I think it's finally arriving.
0: Well, we're talking with Ryan Gerduski at Ryan Gerdusky on Twitter, and I'll, I'll put up on social media his Substack uh, NatPop National Populist Newsletter natpop.substack.com. Okay, but I mean, it is a shift, right? It is a change. You're you're saying that the center right parties are failing, center left parties are failing, but the Republican Party of today is is not really. I mean, I remember being on the Republican National Committee, the RNC, in February of 2013 when they published the $9 million autopsy on the election. And they said, all we have to do is be nice and speak in Spanish and stop talking about any social issues like abortion and we'll win all the time. And we looked at it. We were like, what it cost $9 million to consultants You know, to, to pay for that? And it was nonsense. It was made up. It was, it was
1: Ari Fleischer's right, uh, R- document.
0: Yeah, right. So, yeah. But my point, but my and point is... And Ari Fleischer,
1: by the way, if you, there's a great book by um, Jeremy Peterson in the New York Times who wrote on that, um, that, docu- that, that uh, the autopsy uh-huh. And it basically said in the autopsy, the, the, the analysis that came out said, oh, if you provide amnesty to illegals, you're not going to win Hispanics. You're not nothing that will actually happen uh, that, that that will benefit, the, you know, the elite and, you know, and the the Republican Party um, and Ari Fleischer sat there and said, no, no, don't don't reveal that part. Right, exactly. They oh, were told I, oh, flat yeah. out that what they were saying is completely wrong. They just but, refused to believe it.
0: But my point is that that the Republican Party until back to this, the, the, this to your, your point till, say, 2014, 15, that you had to be open borders. You had to be a, uh, a market, you know, multilateral uh, trade deals were going to be great. Right. You had to be neoconish. That was the Republican Party. And was that center right? Was that right wing? Now the Republican Party is, as you say, populist. But it's hard to call that right wing that the Republican Party is. Mm, I, I, I don't know if it's right wing. Right. It's a different wing. It's a different.
1: Well, I say I say right wing in the terms of being neoliberal, right. I'm okay. talking about the George H.W. Bush version of central right. When I say center right, that's what I'm really referring to with the establishment right around the entire globe, which is a very neoliberal philosophy on politics. Um, if you if I'm talking when I say populist right, I'm saying that there are people now rising to the Republican Party who are talking about things like trade and immigration war in a very, very different way. If, I mean, look at J.D. Vance's victory speech. J.D. Vance's victory speech called for yeah, declare, uh, declaring war against the Mexican drug cartel and a Arresting and imprisoning the uh, the family that brought us oxycodone. I mean, right. that is that is oxycodone. That is not something that the, that's something that the Republicans would have ever sat there and said. You know, he JD sat there and said, "Why don't we put them all in jail?" Right. I mean, this is not a normal. This is not. This is definitely not the party that George W. Bush would have felt comfortable with. But that's okay. And I think that as they um, as they move in 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 certain policies, I think they will attract new and different people. And I think the problem that um, not to go not to mind this moment, but, uh, but this point, but I think the problem that a lot of older Republicans have is if you were alive from the 60s and 70s till the 90s or early 2000s, even you grew up, you were living in a center right nation. And that ended when the World War II generation died out when we've been brought in 30, 40 million um, immigrants from around the world. And when the millennials and the Zoomers became a voting age, the nation shifted. We became a center-left country, and it's very difficult for a lot of people to believe. So they run to conspiracy theories, and they run to um, fighting against strongmen on the left, when really what it is is our politics Genuinely shifted in the early 2000s, and they do not know how to answer to those uh, to those questions. And I think that that's why right now the rise of national populism is really the critique of neoliberalism that came out of the 1970s.
0: Uh, again, we're we're talking with uh, Ryan Urquidesky, but Ryan, I've also noticed on your Twitter feed. I think it was on Twitter somewhere I saw you quoted as saying the thing you've uh, in your maybe in your career that you've enjoyed most is winning these school board school board. Races. Yeah, yeah. So talk about what you're seeing there, what you're doing, why. It's so important. I, mean, I think actually, it' odd with the war in Ukraine, with uh, all these things. It's huh. off people's radar screen a bit that these school board races are happening, and that there's a, a pretty dramatic set of conditions that have yielded results that have been different.
1: All right. So last year, I did. I started the 1776 Project Pack. Um, which was the first super PAC in the nation to deal with just school board elections, running school board candidates and winning school board races. And um, we were, we were successful. I didn't think anyone would really care. We did 58 elections. We won 42 the first year. Um, And we just did last week um, in uh, in the first week of May, we did 15 races in Texas and we won all 15. And um, it's been extremely rewarding because this, I mean, I do, I've always cared about local politics Um, and this is engaging people and the most real way they will ever have. I mean, this is this is making one conservatives care about public education and curriculum for the first time in God knows how long. And then this is um, this is about trying to get conservatives to sit there and actually be engaged on the idea of curriculum. For too long, conservatives have sat there and said, "If we just." Um, get everyone out of the public school, then school will be better well, maybe that 's you know slightly true as far as grading whatever, but we 're not going to fight against woke agenda by going to privatizing every school. Private schools actually oftentimes are more woke and more liberal than public schools are, and there 's no democratic means to sit there and combat the wokeness so um this pac is now flipped to over seventy school over sixty over 60 school board elections and um we have more coming up in georgia and maryland towards the middle and end of summer so um we're hoping to continue on that on that mantra and do just you, put all you, school board elections.
0: ryan do you think it's the um uh the school board issue i mean even the even the pack is called the 1776 project uh uh pack um is it the school board issues or will do you think it's I, I look in the last 25 years one thing republicans did do they focused on state house races and states and, and they flipped a lot of state houses and I think there's always been that battle do you sense that there'll be a shift in local races also is there is that all is the fruit ripe there too or is it something about school boards that has got people's imagination
1: well, what I try to sit there and do is uh, what I what I say to everyone is, look, in these local elections, you're having 8%, 9%, maybe 11% voter turnout. It's so, so, so small. And um, in many elections in our country, you know, 50 votes don't change a presidential election. 50 votes don't change a Senate election most of the time. But they can very well change a school board election. And just getting conservatives out to vote and making sure that they know, hey, this is the election day, and because these elections are nonpartisan and these are the anti-CRT candidates, we're seeing a dramatic increase in turnout, which is good. It's good for, our, it's healthy for our democracy for more people to vote, but it's really healthy for these school board elections, which so few people vote, and now we're overcoming the, um, the entrenched school, uh, teachers unions, uh, you know, 5,000 some odd people that w- that within the, the education organizations in these districts, we're, we're overpowering them with a sheer number of our voters, and we're electing these school board members to really take on DEI and CRT and the transgender ideology and the sexualization of children that was coming into our school board. So all this stuff is very, very, very important. And really, the first thing that conservatives need to do is just show up to even vote and uh, and run. And um, and slowly but surely, I mean, the whole goal of my pack is to make sure that these these people sit there and show up to vote.
0: Uh, Ryan Kudurski, is there a website for the pack that people should check out? Or
1: 1776projectpac.com.
0: Okay, Uh, Ryan at Ryan Gurdusky on on Twitter and also I'll put up on social media, his national populist newsletter, natpop.substack.com. Also worth a look. Thanks for the time, Ryan. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our next guest, a fascinating topic, an interesting book. Uh, I got a copy of this book. My listeners know, Adam, uh, that I love books, and I love getting books and reading them and having uh, authors on. Our our, our next guest is Adam Bly, uh, and his book is called The Exorcism Files, and uh, it's a bestseller on Amazon, number one bestseller on Amazon. And uh, we'll talk about, well, let, let me ask you about that first. Welcome to the program, sir. And then say, are you surprised that a book on exorcism is a number one
2: bestseller on amazon hi ed it's good to be here and meet you um you know given given this time of year perhaps um yeah i mean i'm it sells well i suppose this type of topic at this time of year doing as well as it has been doing though yeah i have to say i'm surprised um i thought it would be more of a niche but it seems to be doing a little more broadly uh, in terms of a uh, Interest. So, yeah, um, I'm happy as you know, it's a way to get the word out. So, I'm hoping it's doing some good.
0: Um, we're talking, uh, our, guest, our guest again is Adam Bly and his book is The Exorcism Files and he himself has uh, for uh, 15 years or so been assisting in an exorcism ministry in the USA he's a peritus, which is a special term for uh, expert uh, on uh, religious demonology and uh, has helped train others including priests and seminarians about exorcism so for the layman if you pull back, I mean I, one of the things in your book you you talk about specifics of of what it looks like to come across um, uh, someone who is uh, or uh, uh, possession um, and talks about how you know how and why why things are uh, either you know physical objects or different things going on moving but what uh, sort of broadly for people what is uh, why, what is exorcism and what does it address and and how common is it because it feels like it 's in the movies, and when you read your book, you realize it 's around us.
2: Well, when people say exorcism, and and when we say exorcism, you know, in in this community, we're usually meaning solemn exorcism of people that are possessed. There are exorcisms of houses and objects also, Uh but most people are thinking of what they've seen in the movies. Now, possession is a rare phenomenon, and by rare, I mean you may see – five or six at the outside 10 cases in a year in a medium-sized city. Okay. So you're not going to see a whole ton of it in terms of actual possessions of people, but unlike the movies in real life, it takes weeks, months, or years for one person to be freed, and so typically you're doing three to four, in some cases five or six exorcisms a week, continuously because it's like layers of an onion. There's not just one spirit; there's many, many spirits to be removed, and a few get removed at each session.
0: Hmm. Is um so in any in any city in the world or in in uh, America? Uh, I, there's Ongoing exorcisms?
2: Yeah, this is a universal human problem. It's not an American problem. It's not even a Christian problem. Every major world religion has some version of exorcism and some understanding of troublesome, deceptive spirits that trick their way into people's lives.
0: And again, we're talking with Adam Bly. His book is "The Exorcism Files." Um, is it common for a layman to do this? I mean, I, I knew of, a, I know of a priest, a friend of mine who's from Spain who does exorcisms and and all. But I, is, I I don't know why it would be limited only to priests. But is it common to have lay people do uh, exorcisms?
2: Lay people never do exorcisms. Ed, there are strict church rules that only a priest with permission from their bishop can do it. I got pulled into this ministry and had a knack for teaching and i've attended so many now in excess of a thousand exorcisms over the years and i had a knack for teaching and understanding what was going on but i don't actually do exorcisms so i'm kind of an anomaly Uh, I came along when the ministry was was very minimal in the united states and now we've trained hundreds of exorcists and it's much more healthy i see is um so so you're
0: training priests and seminarians so it's not lay people but but there is um if there is so back up you you said that possession is uncommon so what is what is
2: more common Uh, oppression which is when a spirit is afflicting a person and basically tormenting them in various ways and and the goal of that is to either drive them to to suicide or drive them to give into possession thinking that that will cause the spirits to let up on them
0: Mm, okay is um, how how often is uh, possession or oppression um, mistaken uh, for mental health issues
2: well, that's hard to say. With oppression, I think it can be really difficult to figure out whether the problem is spiritual or psychological or psychiatric. My background's in mental health. I have a master's in adult clinical psychology, and I mainly worked in the prisons. So I've seen the extremes of mental illness. Um, and one of the mistakes we make is saying, well, it's either, it's either spiritual or it's medical. In a lot of cases, it's both. There can be multiple problems going on at the same time. I'm not saying that every mental health person has a spiritual problem at all. And in fact, the church is very strict about requiring outside medical evaluation of somebody before considering doing exorcisms. So we want to be really sure that it's not just a mistaken medical or mental health problem. And beyond that, we want to have some tests that we do on the spiritual side that's basically proof of possession. And really quickly, that is knowledge of all languages and mental health doesn't explain that schizophrenia doesn't make you suddenly fluent in ancient languages, right. knowing secrets and hidden things a person couldn't possibly know, like your secret sins is the most common one. And again, mental health and brain disease doesn't do that. Third one is detecting the holy, and that's being able to to detect whether something is blessed or not when it's not obvious, you know, like a crucifix is an obvious thing. And the fourth one is supernatural strength, strength beyond their condition. That's the weakest of the signs. Um, wow. Is uh, in a world
0: where more and more people, at least the way it's described, I'm not sure you ever know how it was in different times, but people say, well, modern uh, men and women and modern people are away from church, away from uh, uh, the Bible is does that increase or decrease the
2: likelihood of either possession or oppression? That on its own would not increase possession. But what does increase the amount of problems is that our culture not only is becoming less religious, but is starting to celebrate and promote the very things that Christianity warned against, such as divination, necromancy, which is ghost hunting, uh, witchcraft, and playing with black magic. And those are the things that can lead to oppression and eventually possession.
0: Um, oh, oh, I see. So it's so it's not so much the it's not so much being uh, being an atheist will get you more uh, 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 possession or oppression. It's it opens you up to the uh, to the uh, well, to the possibility
2: of uh, conduct or or putting yourself in that position. Is that a better way to say it? No. So an oh, atheist good. just an atheist just doesn't do anything with religion, presumably. But our culture now promotes magic, black magic, witchcraft, even st- starting with Satanism now uh, and necromancy with uh, communicating with spirits in various ways, all those practices can lead to spiritual problems because you're inviting a relationship with a deceptive spirit. I see.
0: Okay. So um, when you uh, witness exorcisms, are they uh, uh, more the the TV? It's funny. the, the, The famous movie, The Exorcist is not, uh, as commonly watched i don't think and and it doesn't feel like there's as as much depiction in in modern um films or anything of uh, exorcism so but in the popular imagination you know you've got heads spinning around and things like that it, in reality is it worse or better or scarier or what and, and and actually how do you not how do you avoid making um something about it it'd be like being like watching a train uh, watching a car you know uh, going to see a car accident like you know, sort of wanting to see something terrible. It's almost it's a bad fascination.
2: Well, there's a lot of questions there. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. So, you know, the movie The Exorcist is an exaggeration. Heads don't actually spin around completely. I've seen the body bend in very extreme ways that you wouldn't think it could. I've seen joints dislocate spontaneously and then go back into place as a spirit switched and no apparent swelling or problems. Um in very rare cases, there is levitation I've not seen that yet, but I have a number of friends who have um, and yes, you do see very disturbing things, like wounds opening up on people in front of you, that type of thing, and you're not there excited to see these things you you're You're looking at a person who is suffering terribly twenty four seven um, and you're, you're trying through prayer, asking God to help that person. And then when you see their body being tortured in additional ways in front of you, there's nothing glamorous or exciting about that. You just feel terrible for the person. Um, now there are people that ask to be able to come to exorcisms just for their own selfish desire to see something extraordinary. Maybe they want a proof that the spiritual is real, or maybe they just want to see something scary. And of course, you never would let somebody like that come to an exorcism, because they're there for selfish reasons, and the demons are going to have a field day with them. The, um, ba- backing up, I'm sorry to do this
0: to you. This is so interesting. Again, our guest is Adam Bly and his book is, uh, The Exorcism Files, True Stories of Demonic Possession. Um, again, how'd you end up in this? You came out of mental health yourself and, and were you a lifelong Catholic and you sort of were drawn to this or how did you become
2: sort of an expert on this? I started with this, I was in graduate school working in a brainwave research lab and studying hypnosis and the changes in brain function with shifts in consciousness, and I knew that through hypnosis you can induce hallucinations in a healthy, normal person with no mental illness, and that made me wonder whether any of these strange spiritual experiences people were reporting were real. And so I wanted to go out and interview them myself. And I had been trained as a clinician and I knew about diagnosing mental illness. And so I wanted to go explore and see if it was just an artifact of the brain, um, self-deception, that type of thing. And what I bumped into and discovered is that there are cases out there that mental health and the brain doesn't explain and phenomenon that I couldn't account for. And so I got drawn into this world and, you know, one of the people that helped get me involved in it was Dr. Richard Gallagher, a prominent psychiatrist from New York. He, he's got a book out recently also. He's been involved in this a lot longer than I have. Um, and just doors kept opening over the years, and the bishops continue to ask me to help train. So, um, yeah, it was kind of an organic progression from from brainwave study Um, And more hard science with with the brain and and moving into this area, once I realized it was real, and there was tremendous suffering going on, it, it seemed like, you know, the only thing to do was to devote your life to it.
0: Hmm. It is an amazing calling. By the way, uh, one thing I'm looking, I finally, I'm sorry to say, I finally found my notes. I had notes from when I got this and I was looking for them. I found uh, some of them. Uh, so it is amazing as a subject. Uh, but here's a question that I had um, in the introduction of the book. And again, we're, we're talking to Adam Bly about his book, The Exorcism Files. Um, you referenced the fact, which I had never really thought about, that um each of the major religions has something like this. I mean, in Christianity, the, the um, we know them as demons. But the, you may, you went through the list, In other Islam, Judaism, they have even I think you said in Buddhism they have uh, something like this. Are, are they? Uh, is it your? Would you describe it as? Um, these are all demons, and you recognize it, and these are how other religions deal with it. Is that the way to say it?
2: Yeah, so there's there's this deceptive, destructive set of spirits that trick their way into people's lives and then try to destroy those people, and that's a universal human problem. It doesn't only happen to Christians. Right. And so, therefore, every religion that has encountered this problem has their own label for that. We call them demons. Um, within Islam, they're called either shaitan or... Um, Jin. Within Judaism, they're sometimes called Dybbuk with a slightly different uh, description of what they are. Uh, In Buddhism, they're called animal spirits. Usually Native Americans have different names for them depending on the tribe. Now, all that being said, I do think and and experience has shown that when you get into full-blown serious cases, that Christianity and particularly Catholic Christianity has the advantage of the authority that Jesus gave the church directly over these spirits. And so there are cases that, for instance, and I'm not picking on on Protestants, but there have been Protestant ministers that have encountered full-blown cases, and without the apostolic authority passed on to them by a valid bishop, uh, the spirits basically just don't obey them. And it's not effective in the end, and it just gets worse. And so there are a number of places in the world where People will bring the fully possessed to the Catholic Christians because they seem to be particularly good at resolving these problems
0: it's um it is a fascinating topic and i'm i'm interested really interested that it is a done so well on amazon that people are uh, drawn to it so i they think that's i think that's a positive sign sometimes i wonder again if people are are, are searching out the occult and and, and thinking uh, it's interesting when it's should be more scary but uh but i think you commented on that well adam bligh again uh, thank you uh, for coming on the program his book is out it's uh sophia institute press i, I like those guys a lot they publish a lot of uh, Uh, fascinating books. Uh, Adam Bly, The Exorcism Files, True Stories of Demonic Possession. Thanks for the time, sir. Oh, thank you, Ed. God bless you. Okay, God bless you. Thank you. Well, uh, I will put up on social media links to uh, uh, the uh, book and uh, also Sophia Institute Press. And we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Liberal county prosecutors in heavily Democrat Fulton County, Georgia, are terrorizing U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham and the former U.S. Attorney and Time Man of the Year, Rudy Giuliani. The ultimate target of this politicized investigation is, of course, Donald Trump. Department of Justice policy prohibits this kind of political mischief by prosecutors, but unhinged county prosecutors track down Trump attorney after Trump attorney. Included in this band is attorney Jenna Ellis, who resides in Colorado, but was forced to testify by Georgia prosecutors as they try to get at Trump. To liberals, criticizing election fraud is a crime, and the heavily Democrat grand jury will recommend any indictments requested. Every Republican connected with Donald Trump who criticized the 2020 election is at risk of being indicted by such Democrats in clear violation of their constitutional right to speak out. For two years, no evidence of any crimes by these Republicans has surfaced, but Democrats waited until the midterm elections approached before rushing for indictments. Even Rudy Giuliani, Mr. Law and Order himself, is a target of the investigation. The goal of this weaponized prosecution is twofold. First, Democrats wanted something to swing the polls in order to hold on to their bare majority in the U.S. House. And second, Democrats want to make sure that no one dares question their fraud-prone elections ever again. It is important to note that leftists know that they do not have to win these cases in order to achieve their goals. If not one Republican was found guilty, they would still consider themselves successful because the process is the punishment. Few things in life are as agonizing as wading through endless lawsuits. When you know that your opponent has a bottomless treasure chest of taxpayer money, this burden can seem unbearable. Conservatives must decry these cruel persecutions by prosecution at every turn. Rather than running for the hills every time one of our own is dragged into court on frivolous charges, we must rally around our allies in their times of need. Only together can we overcome the threat of a weaponized legal system. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parlor, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for
1: the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
0: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we just got less than a minute the way I ran this out today. So let me just finish. It's um, going into the weekend and with so many great listeners on our San Diego flagship station. The answer, San Diego, who are veterans or active duty military. Uh, You know, Friday was Veterans Day in my own hometown. They have a great observance. It's very simple. It's at the Memorial Day. Uh, uh, it's at the Memorial for uh, fallen soldiers, fallen veterans. But they have a Veterans Day celebration. It's so well done, simple, uh, dedicated, and uh, quiet. Uh, fits the day as we remember all those men and women who served uh, our country and continue to serve our great veterans. So happy Veterans Day if you're a veteran. Thank you as always to Noah Dingley, our great producer, and Joanna Spilger, associate producer. We'll be back next week. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.